Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. Oh man, I've had a fun day already. I got to be out in the field doing some training with some uh, college-age students, and there, there's just so much to learn in agriculture, and it's just so fun to see the excitement and enthusiasm of young people getting into this industry. So if you're in that position where you find yourself in your teenage years or in your college years, uh, or maybe you're just getting started in the industry, oh, we are so excited to have you. It's it's great. There's just so much room for more people and for good, talented people in our industry. Um, you know, We were just talking about corn and soybeans primarily today, just looking at some fields, looking at early emergence, looking at some of the challenges already that we're seeing out in some of these fields. And I'll talk about a couple of those as we get started. We're going to talk about V4 to V7 corn fungicides uh, during the show today. But of course, we'll take your calls and questions as well at 844-44-AG-PHD. So let me talk by or start by talking about soybeans. And there's a lot of discussion around planting population in soybeans, and we've got a number of different populations planted on our farm. We're, we're always doing some trial work on that kind of thing, too, just varying rates up as we go through fields and varying rates field to field and, and varying rates with different varieties to see you know, how well those varieties are going to bush out and what they're going to end up being for, for plant types and so forth so we can give better advice on those going forward. But one thing that I noticed today, we had a little bit of crusting in one particular field that we were in. And where we had good populations, of course, you've got soybeans spaced closer together, so you've got more push to break through that crust. And when we had beans spaced out more with a lower population, we had a lot more that were breaking off and unable to get out of the ground. So that's something to keep in mind. I I get it. I, I agree that... We can get maximum yield with 80,000, 90,000, 100,000 evenly spaced final stand in many cases, but we aren't going to get great emergence if we have issues with crusting and, and other problems such as that. So that's definitely something to watch. Another thing that we saw is, as you know, if you've been listening to the show for, for very long, you know, we do a lot of different types of tillage and, and no tillage and that kind of thing. So we were in a field where we hadn't done any tillage. We were in a field where we'd done strip tillage, uh, just looking at what some of the differences were. And in the strip till, it, it was kind of interesting because our stand looks so good. And I said, all right, guys, uh, you see everything looks great here. And uh, if I was going to bring you out to my field, I might just want to show you this area, but let's just walk across the field. I'm sure we'll find some spot where the planter got a little too close to the residue or even got planted in the residue in the strip till uh, in between where we're supposed to be planting. Sure enough, uh, we walked a few planter passes away and we found where we were just a little bit into the residue. And we looked at soil temperature. It was about 10 degrees cooler in between in, once we got into the residue. It was crazy. Uh, it was over 80 degrees in the in the strip till and it was in the low 70s when we got in between the strips where all the residue was. So you would expect that you'd see some differences that way, but we saw a huge difference in emergence when we had to push through that residue. We just didn't have near the stand 
that we had where we were planting where we we're supposed to in the middle of the strip. So those kind of things make a difference. And it's fun as you get out in fields just to kind of critique yourself and how did we do this year. And sure enough, uh, we found a couple of sprayer skips. that uh, We were going around a curve and we didn't do the greatest job. And I, we were kind of thinking, you know, there's a few kochia, there's a few other weeds that are breaking through here. Maybe our pre wasn't the greatest. And then we got to just a couple little spots where we didn't get spray on. And oh my goodness, the winter annuals were pretty thick out there in the strip till. So we know our spray did something pretty good out in the field. Now in the corn, we were looking at corn that was basically at one collar corn. So it looks like it's got two nice leaves on it and it looked really good, looked really healthy. How, how deep do you think the root system is when you've got corn that's got two leaves and it's standing about two inches tall, roughly? Well, when you think about that plant mass that's above ground, Oftentimes, we've got a similar amount of plant mass below ground, and we sure did. We had a nice root system. We had lots of root hair development, and we had roots that were down about four inches deep at that point that were, you know, good quality roots, even with me digging them up. I probably clipped some off that were even deeper than that. But think about your corn plants and how quickly you're going to be able to get to that two-by-two and how quickly you're going to get to the strip-till placement fertilizer, which we had in this case down about six or eight inches deep. The roots get there pretty fast and, and pretty early in the season. So spacing fertility out a little bit further away from the furrow is, is not that big a deal. Just do a little bit of digging and you can judge for yourself as to where you should put different doses of fertilizer out in the field. I kind of like that because we put a good strong dose of fertilizer out in our heavy ground with our strip till and we're getting to it by the time that corn plant is three or four inches tall. So it's really not that long and we're, we're able to feed that plant quite well. Uh, with, with the corn plant too, we noticed a little bit of sandblasting and we had talked about the derecho that came through our area the end of last week and we were really thankful that we didn't have much crop that was poking its head out of the ground yet. But we were in one of our first planted cornfields and there was some sandblasting in that field for sure. Um, so that's something to kind of keep an eye on in your fields. As we talk about V4 to V7 corn fungicides, on today's program, you may think, man, I don't have much disease pressure. I don't have a lot going on out in the field yet. And I, I'm not too worried about it at this point or worried about plant health at this point. But we'll talk on, on the show today a few reasons why you may want to consider doing something a little different than you've done in the past and just how that return on investment might be more in your favor this year than it has been. Obviously, we've got higher prices on our crops. But fungicide prices, there's they're up some, but not nearly up as much as what, what the commodity prices are. So we've got a great chance here for a better return on investment than we would usually see, which I'll be honest, on our farm, we think we're seeing enough return on investment to do it even back when corn was 3 bucks. So we don't need $7 corn to justify this one. But we'll talk about that decision on today's program. Again, we'll take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Looking at the uh, AgPHD mailbag box, got a number of emails in there that we'll try to get to as well today. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. 
Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucento Fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucento Fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. It takes balance to be successful in farming, because what you get out of it depends on what you put in, and Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and our topic is V4 to V7 corn fungicides. Fungicide use this year is going to be an interesting topic with a lot of things going on out in the environment. A cool, wet spring in many areas. Uh, continued wet conditions delaying planting. Of course, the the fear of tar spot hitting us because that sure spread last year and got into a lot bigger geography. So a lot of things to think about and consider for your farm if you're raising corn this year in terms of protecting against diseases. Let's head down to southwest Iowa right now. We've got Andrew Penny with us with the Calabasco to talk about this. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Hey, Darren. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. All right, so we're talking early season fungicide use, and I kind of mentioned a few things that are going on out there. The wet conditions at planting that a lot of growers have faced, uh, it's different than it was last year. It seemed like last year some of those same growers were talking about drought and will there be enough moisture to get anything to go. So uh, kind of a different year. What what do you think in early season this year? Are fungicides going to be important? Well, you know, based on what we saw last year, you know, you brought up tar spot. That, that was definitely the main issue last year. Uh, a, lot, a lot of guys, you know, a lot of growers are worried about that, depending on where you are. But, you know, if, if definitely if, if we continue to see the, the moisture like we're seeing now, you know, uh, tar spot and, and other fungal pathogens, uh, even, even bacterial, you know, uh, that's definitely going to be an issue. So, you know, it's worth having the conversation now, depending on, you know, hybrid susceptibility, uh, disease is common to your area you know, maybe planning on potentially, uh, you know, planning for a fungicide application. 
Now, you mentioned the hybrid tolerance ratings, and this is something that I think has been very interesting. I know that your company has worked on this really hard to look at the new inbreds coming in, of course, the new hybrid crosses to see exactly what kind of tolerance there is. You know, something like tar spot, at least to my knowledge, they don't have a inoculation process like they do with Goss's wilt. What does it take to, yep. to develop something like that, as I know you will in the coming years? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I know we're really we're, we're uh, working pretty hard on that. I know a lot of uh, extension pathologists are working hard on that too. You know, th- there's definitely things we can do. You know, just collect old residue and and, and hope for you know the conditions that are conducive for those uh, you know carryover stromata to to begin to germinate and, and sporulate. But you know, it, it it is tricky because you know we can put as much material as we want out there uh, with with old infected residue, but if we don't have the conditions or the moisture. You know, we're just we're just not going to get you know infections. So it, it is a it is a hard process, and I know a lot of people are working on it. So hopefully, we get something soon. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And I would say this though, we are starting to get some pretty good ratings, and and it's due to to folks like you and your team that are putting those together. Just hey, current hybrids, how did we do? Which ones seem to take this disease a little harder than others? What are you seeing for for demand? Like even in Southwest Iowa, where you're at, where tar spot, I think last year was the first first year that it got that far west correct uh you know we we found it in in 2018 you know i, I was actually at, at iowa state still at the time and uh we, we found in 2018 but very minimal De- definitely 2021 was, was definitely probably the worst you know the highest severity that we saw in southwest iowa and i, I actually live in Ames, and so I, i've been lucky enough to you know watch it spread from you know starting the east eastern part of iowa from you know to central iowa to, to the the western part of the state and yeah, it's it's picking up. You know, the we we know it over winters now, and uh, I think it's you know depending on, on weather, obviously, I think it's going to continue to you know in, increase in severity potentially. So, so I th- I think a you know very important conversation. You know, the further east you are, obviously, it's, it's a bigger issue. But you know, I, I think everybody, especially us, I mean, we have some of our highest yielding products. Um, you know, can be more or less susceptible to to tar spot. So. Just just having that conversation with your your agronomist, your your dealer, which one you know you may want to plan for a fungicide application, and which one is, is less susceptible, you know those are the important conversations we need to be having now. You know, I think it's interesting too with some of these products that you've had for a few years that you've really got a good handle on, and then of course some of the diseases where where you've got a great set of protocols to to evaluate for, like with gray leaf spot and northern corn leaf blight, and you find areas where they're generally a problem and so you can set up plots in those areas and really evaluate in a higher pressure situation how they're going to do Uh, those things have been nice and it's been fun watching the industry just versus 10 15 20 years ago where uh, if you had a rating of a three or a rating of a four that was wonderful and now you want a two or a three not a three or a four and so forth depending on the rating scale that you're using as we see those things move up uh, growers ask a lot how hard is that to to change those types of ratings and and get that much improvement in your genetic crosses that that is a complicated process especially when you're dealing with a, a new disease kind of like what we're dealing with in tar spot you know we, we went through the same thing with with goss's wilt back in boy what year was that 20 i can't even remember around 20 I can't remember. 20, 2011 was just a terrible year, and the reason I remember that is because we did a lot of trial work in 2012, and then, of course, it never rained. 
and, and we didn't have any yeah. goss pressure that year. So yeah. for us, 2011 was probably our worst year. Yep, I was going to say 2012, but yeah, I think you're right. I think it was 2011 and then that next year. Yeah, similar situation here in, in central Iowa. But it, it is a complicated plot process. You know, you start looking at your germplasm and the inbreds you have, and then, you know, on, on top of that, trying to figure out which ones, you know, that, that may already be using those inbreds, um, you know, what, what their susceptibility is. So it, it's kind of a combination of looking at current products, looking at the background of those current products, uh, test, look, you know, looking at new products that are already in the pipeline. So it, it's, it's a big process. There, there's a lot of work involved. Yeah, and a lot of these plots we're we're putting out, and and uh, the industry as an industry putting out plots, and then not spraying the fungicides, not doing protection, just to to get good ratings on the hybrids. But then, what I also like is there are a lot of plots where the fungicides are being evaluated. When we look at this V four yeah. to V seven timing, I know some people say, "Well, I really like V four. The plants are smaller. I can get um, unbelievable coverage all the way down the plant." And others say, "Well, I like to wait a little bit longer." Uh, maybe V7, maybe even a little bit later after that, because I want to get closer to having the ear leaf out, or I want to have some of these higher up the plant leaves that I can get protection on. What's your feeling on this V4 to V7 timing? Yeah, so I would say it, it kind of depends on, on where, you, where you're at. You know, and, and similar to a, a fungicide application at Tassel, I would, I would probably say it, it depends on the environment and your, and your location. You know, in, in central Iowa, I've, I've never really had a, a, a huge, consistent, um, you know, ec- economic return on investment with a V5 application. But I think if you go you go east and you go south, um, you know, as, as we get into a little bit warmer climate where the, the temperature is a little bit warmer earlier, you know, you might have you might get start getting some disease a little bit earlier than what we deal with here in Iowa. And, and I think that's that's one of the main issues. You know, you look at where those those leaves are when we do make a V5 application. Uh, you know, as we get closer to the late vegetative reproductive stages, you know, those leaves slough off. And so, you know, if, if you're not dealing with, with a high disease incidence uh, or some severity, you know, the likelihood of, of that application pain is, is less. But as you get into certain areas, certain environments, you know, maybe corn on corn, uh, you're, you're closer to the eastern part of, of Iowa or just the Corn Belt. Um, and, and you're a little bit warmer and, and disease, you know, the, the environment is more conducive for disease early, then you might see it, start seeing, you know, economic return on investment. But, you know, I think it just it just comes down to the area, um, the temperature early and, and, you know, whether or not you're in, in a corn on corn situation that, you know, where, where you had a, a higher disease incidence and severity the, the previous year. Yeah, a lot of things to think about there. And as you mentioned, uh, things can really vary. Even not that far down the road, conditions can change, rotations can change, past history certainly is different. So got to take all those things into yep. account when you're making these recommendations. We're talking with Andrew Penny Definitely. with the Asgro down in southwest Iowa. Andrew, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. And good luck here as the, the spring season continues. Thanks again, Darren. Good talking with you. You bet. Yeah, the cornfields out there right now, some are still going in the ground, some are up. Uh, it's all over the board, and it's been kind of interesting to us the last few weeks here talking to growers on the show that uh, maybe got some crop in way back in April and are still struggling to get those last acres in. 
maybe you find yourself in the same situation. It's going to be interesting this year trying to manage that out in the field when you've got crops at all different stages. It, it may mix up when you're trying to spray or you may start spraying something and have to stop halfway across the farm and say, okay, the rest of my fields are a couple growth stages behind. Uh, and one of those things that you may be considering doing is fungicide use. So we're talking about the earlier season timing on corn fungicide sprays on today's show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Weather or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy-to-tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Come to the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event this summer. Here at Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support and encourage folks entering the ag industry. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event. Though this day is geared towards high school and college students as well as young farmers, anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy is more than welcome. Our hands-on sessions in the field will include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, the role of natural microbes in farming, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees. So whether you're a college student or just want some good agronomy information, this is one event you won't want to miss. It's the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships Day, Saturday, June 25th on the Hefty Farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Learn more and register at agphd.com. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. It's planting season, race against the clock season, mistakes can't happen season, and no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster, that makes your spacing and depth more accurate, and that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and our topic is V4 to V7 
corn fungicides. Now, when I say V4 to V7, that's vegetative stage 4 to vegetative stage 7. And the way I define that is four fully developed leaf collars up to seven fully developed leaf collars. And, you know, when this this idea of spraying a little bit early first came out, I thought, man, you know, part of the reason that that uh, the companies are suggesting this timing is, well, you can mix it with lots of things. We're spraying herbicide about that timing, and, and so to go right in, and certainly getting a free ride across the field can definitely help the return on investment when you don't have to pay an application charge. That's kind of a nice thing, too. But then as you do more research and you look at what's happening inside the corn plant, what critical stages of growth are, are happening and when are ear sizes being determined and these types of things, you realize what an important time it is in that plant's life and adding some protection, perhaps enhancing plant health, that can be a pretty good thing too. So anything we can do to help the plant during that stage is good. Today we're focusing on fungicides, but of course if you have any agronomic questions, just give us a call at 844 44 ag phd real happy to have brad nemers on with us right now he's with bear uh to talk a little bit about corn fungicides brad thanks for joining us you bet thanks for having me Darren. all right i got a lot of questions for you so i hope you're ready absolutely okay first of all I, I suggested this idea of tank mixing and when you think about all the things that farmers are doing, man, on a year like this as well, where planting got a little delayed and everybody's trying to do everything in a compressed time window, what is, what is it like when you're tank mixing fungicides? Are there some watchouts that you have or is it pretty much, hey, no problem, go ahead, go for it? No, well, you really have to pay attention to um, what the formulation of your, your fungicide is. Some are ECs, some are SCs. Uh, typically an SC is going to go in first. Uh, with even before some of your your herb, other herbicides that you're tank mixing it with, uh, if it's an EC, typically it's going to go in towards the latter end of your your uh, tank mix, um, where the oils and the glyphosate would typically go. So you need to be careful. You could end up with uh, if you don't go in a proper order, you could end up with um, some precipitates in that tank mix uh, that may cause some issues as far as uniform application. How about adding burn? This is one thing that, that we'll get for questions a lot of times. Hey, if I'm out there spraying my lotus or something, I'm not expecting I'm going to have any plant response, but what about if I'm throwing in uh, a fungicide with it as well and, and with additional adjuvants and those types of things? Absolutely. I, some some fungicides are a little, uh, we'll say, hotter than others. You could see some a little bit of crop response, but typically that phytotoxic response is purely cosmetic um, as far as an, an injury or a, a detriment to yield. I, I, I haven't seen any. More than likely, it's coming with other products uh, such as atrazine that it just heats up the load a little bit um, or the other herbicides that are in your tank mix. So I wouldn't expect it. Uh, if any, a significant amount more of, of crop response by adding a fungicide. All right. We've got a, a lot of different products that get sprayed. And say, say you're out putting on something like Diflex or a, a Dicamba product, and many growers will say, well, I want to have a little bit bigger droplet. I want to do everything I can to reduce drift with that. But big droplets don't seem to work the best for corn fungicides. So how do you balance those two things out in a tank mix situation? Correct. Well, first and foremost, our, our I guess our, our um, 
the main reason that we are going out there is to kill the weeds that are present in the field. It is also, if you're going with a fungicide, you have a, another goal as well to increase that plant health uh, or, or to optimize plant health. But we need to make sure we kill the weeds out there. Uh, so using the correct droplet size that the herbicide um, calls for is, is key because um, if we don't kill the weed, it's going to result in a respray, which um, results in extra uh, uh, cost on that acre. So my advice is to use the correct nozzle uh, for, the, for the application that you're going out there for. In this case, uh, weeds are the main target, so use the correct nozzle. And we, we really need a, a flat fan type nozzle. Um, there are some, some dual tip uh, single orifice nozzles out there uh, that work great as well. Um, but coverage is key with the fungicide as it is with a lot of systemic fun or herbicides and contact herbicides. So I would uh, uh, just just choose your nozzle carefully. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. You got to got to be very conscious of which nozzle you got there. It's not the same nozzle that you're going to use for everything else necessarily. You want to make sure it's going to work for what you're trying to get done. Okay, let's talk about products just a little bit, Brad, because there's been a lot of developments here uh, in recent years, especially adding that SDHI chemistry in now. So we've got just tons of good products out there with two or three modes of action. Why is that so important? And then talk to us a little bit about this Delaro Complete product that I know you're working with. Absolutely. Uh, so the, the addition of the SDHIs, which are relatively new to the uh, um, fungicide world, are, are a big big impact. They're, they're very unique. Some are, are more broad spectrum than others. Uh, uh, I guess, Darren, first and foremost, I really, I really want to say this. The goal of a, a fungicide or any application after planting is to preserve that yield potential uh, in the plant. We are not creating uh, more potential for that seed. It's ar already built into that seed. So that's, that's the first and foremost goal is to preserve yield potential. And by making a fungicide application, you are doing your part in helping that happen. So that SDHI uh, in Delaro Complete, um, what it does, it gives us some preventative. It's primarily preventative, uh, but it does have some curative activity, and it's really unique in that in that fact. Um, it, it's used in a seed treatment as well that has activity on, on nematodes, but uh, it is a fungicide. Um, we've seen great results with it. It is very, very systemic in the plant. Um, so it's a great addition. And the, the addition of that triazole to more commonly used modes of action or, or sites of that groups would be uh, to the strobiliarins and triazoles uh, is just to pre further prevent um, resistance uh, from these diseases or fungal pathogens to, to uh, the uh, um, fungicides that we have available to us today. Yeah, we want to preserve what we've got. And you mentioned three different families of chemistry there. And I, I love it when we've got a chance to throw everything at this, much like with our soybean pre-emerge herbicides, putting three modes of action down so we can fight any resistance off. Looking at some of these new diseases, and, and I would say in this geography, it's tar spot that guys are most nervous about. What do you see, Brad? I, I know that, that Bears had a number of trials out there and obviously lots of farmers that have been using the product to, to get some 
comparisons with, with Tarspot and some good ideas for best recommendations. You bet. L luckily around us, uh, we haven't had any confirmed tar spot yes, yet in South Dakota. I'm very confident that it is here, um, or it's only a matter of time. Um, I guess a key to, from internal studies that we have done within Bayer, scout and scout often. Uh, the sooner you catch the disease in your field, especially tar spot, and make an application within uh, a realistic time frame, say 24 to, to 72 hours uh, after it's first noticed in your field or found in your field, you have the best chance at controlling uh, that fungal pathogen um, earlier with an earlier application. And that's really why we're targeting this earlier application is to keep that plant, that the V4 to V7 time frame, is to keep that plant as healthy as possible because tar spot is a soil-borne disease that uh, overwinters in trash and residue. And as we all know, the wind blows um, and trash. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, trash blows around the field. So higher areas or fields with higher trash or organic matter, I, I should say, or residue, um, you know, with a history of disease are probably more prone to uh, uh, this pathogen that's, infecting their that's fields. A, that's a great point, Brad. And as we introduce more cover crops and as we do reduce tillage, uh, that, that is one of the downsides. We, we do have a little bit more disease pressure, which just it means you just have to do a little bit more to keep it under uh, keep it under control and keep it protected. Talking with Brad Nemers here with, with Bear. Thanks so much, Brad. Really appreciate having you on. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, Here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more. And don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day.
Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Farmers everywhere are discovering Germinator closing wheels. Dick from Iowa says, in every case, our germination rate was better than expected. Total destruction of the furrow sidewall and ideal seed-to-soil contact. See what others are saying at farmshopmfg.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. talking about corn fungicide use and specifically early season corn fungicide use on today's Ag PhD radio program. And our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD here in the Morton studio if you'd like to call in with a, an agronomic question or any feedback on corn fungicides. And of course our radio mailbag box is always open. It's radio at agphd.com. Oh, I'm happy to have Gail Stratman on right now with FMC because we put some Zyway out there in some of our fields this year. And I'm hoping I'm not going to have to put on more fungicide this year, that I'm just going to get by with Zyway. Gail, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. How about yourself, Darren? Not too bad. What do you think my odds are here in South Dakota, generally a fairly low disease pressure area, of getting by with Zyway for the whole year? Well, um, we've seen some really good results out of that, especially in these in, in these areas where, like you said, um, we're a little bit drier and um, a little farther north where we don't quite get the disease pressure that you maybe get in the Delta area. So in many of these areas, um, we see really good foliar disease control uh, throughout the season. And then, you know, we're looking for that those stock benefits and stock health benefits out of Zyway too. So I think our chances are pretty good. Um, you know, it just depends on what the weather turns out to be here in, in the latter half of July and August when the diseases really want to want to get going. But uh, but our results in the past have been very favorable in that regard. Yeah, we had nine bushel better corn last year where we used Zyway. So I don't care about disease control. I like nine more bushels of corn. Yeah. Uh, even if I had to spray another fungicide, that pays for a lot of fungicide for sure. Um, okay, so yeah. let's talk about some of these in-crop in fungicides that, that we're putting out there. I, I noticed with some of the products you've got, Gail, you've got some that have a strobiliarin and some that don't. Uh, why would we want to leave a strobiliarin out? Well, it, it depends a little bit on the, on the scenario and what some of the diseases we're going after. Um, a product like we have with like, like Lucento, which doesn't have a strobe uh, in it, you know, is an SDHI and a triazole. Very good, very strong on those leaf spot diseases, um, dual mode of action there. You know, one of the things that you can run into sometimes with a, uh, with a strobe um, is that, uh, you know, especially in a crop like when we switch over to things like soybeans, strobes have been linked sometimes to um, green stem or, um, or some things like that. So it, it offers a little different option and a little bit of difference from a, from a resistance management standpoint, too. You're changing up modes of action there. So um, FMC, we kind of offer um, a, a multitude of fungicides there, either with or without a strobe in them to uh, kind of 
cater to uh, to whatever direction you want to go. All right, you mentioned the triazoles, and certainly that chemistry has been out for a long time. You've got a different triazole that, that seems to work a little bit better. What's going on? Was there something different in development with that one, or, or why are we seeing such a difference in performance? Well, it's got some unique chemical and physical properties that make it extremely mobile within the plant. Once it gets inside the xylem or the uh, the upward movement of the plant with the water stream, it is extremely mobile to the point where it can easily move throughout the leaves, uh, the cells, all the way through the leaf tips and up and down through that vegetative area. So it's it's highly mobile. A lot of fungicides are mobile, but they tend to be more localized um, in their mobility. This one's highly mobile once it gets in the vascular stream of the plant and can really move and give you kind of a, a more complete protection area than, than uh, having to rely just on spray coverage to get your, uh, get your uh, coverage. All right, we're talking about this V4 to V7 timing with corn fungicides, and I know everybody's kind of got their windows that they like. Uh, I personally like this one. I, I mean, there are several windows that I like, but I like this one because I can spray it myself. I'm generally out there putting a herbicide about the same timing, but uh, what do you think in this V4 to V7 timing? How do we get the most out of these products? Well, like I said, combining them across the field really uh, helps from an efficiency standpoint and brings your cost down. So you're not looking for, or you don't require a huge yield return out of that just to pay for it. Um, so it, it tends to be a fairly low risk uh, type application. But some of the, like I said, some of the other benefits we've seen out of those early applications tend to not show up until late in the year um, around standability and plant health that we really don't aren't, aren't looking for in that small corn, but we're looking for down the road. So, um, you know, there's some benefits to that and, and those kind of applications. Depends, again, on the hybrid and the environment you're in. Maybe if you're in a corn-on-corn -corn situation, it's going to fit a little bit better. But uh, definitely I've seen some benefits over the years that we can trace back to those early uh, foliar fungicides in corn. You know, as we get a little bit later in the season, uh, there get to be some susceptible times in that corn plant's life where you say, ooh, can't use a fungicide, or I'm sorry, can't use an adjuvant with the fungicide here or there, and uh, guys get a little nervous about safety. What about safety? As we're looking early in the season, is there anything that you're worried about, any timing that you're worried about that's coming up soon? Well, you got to be, um, you know, a little bit careful when you're running with some of your post herbicides, um, you know, some of your things like dicamba and that, that can be uh, a little bit sensitive on corn. You don't want to put anything else in there that's going to maybe uh, heat that up in a little, uh, a little bit more. So you got to be a little bit careful on that front. And then, like you said, just kind of mention and um, watch the timing for adjuvant uh, inclusion. You know, adjuvants are good in their early, but once you reach that, uh, you know, V7, V8 timing, you got to kind of pull those out because you, now you're getting significant amount of ear formation happening at that time. And so you got you to pull those out until we hit that tassel timing before we can put them back in and, and take the benefits of those uh, adjuvants back in, into, the, into play. Hey, Gail, if you don't mind, I'm going to switch gears with you just a little bit and talk about authority. We've got a lot of farmers right now. They're planting soybeans. They're trying to spray, but the beans are jumping out of the ground pretty quick. I think we got to get our authority on first before we plant or be willing to stop the planter at the end of each field and then get that field spray because I don't know how else to do it. What do you recommend when you get in these situations like this? 
Well, you know, like I said, you, you've got to, yeah, you've got to kind of put a priority on getting those herbicides on. I know planning's a big thing. Guys are, are really focused on getting the, the seed in the ground um, because, of course, that's number one. You've got to got to have seed in the ground to grow a crop. But, um, you know, it's tough to grow a good crop if you don't have good weed control. So that's got to go hand in hand. I kind of agree with you. I think a lot of these applications should be go on prior to planting when you find that window. Uh, get it on because, again, you're not wanting to incorporate that herbicide very much. So lay it on the surface, let the moisture move it in, keep it shallow, um, and then go out there with your planter and just plant right into that uh, into that herbicide barrier you've got there. You know, putting that seed in the ground and hoping you're going to get that sprayed um, is, is a little bit chancy because, like you said, the wind and the weather kind of goes against us. Suddenly we've got beans popping out of the ground. And the best laid plans we had for weed control that year kind of go out the window. And now we're into rescue mode and we've got beans that are barely coming out of the ground. And we're only trying to figure out how we're going to rescue this crop because our plan kind of went awire. So it, it yeah, you got to put a plan, a plan in place and kind of stick to that plan. And sometimes that means you got to change up what you're doing from a, a planting and a spraying operation uh, priority. But uh, if you want good, good weed control, that's what it's going to require sometimes. How about Anthem Max? When when we look at products like that, they can be sprayed post-emerge. To get that residual to work, you need a little bit of rain. My feeling has always been just get it on as soon as you possibly can. But do you, do you mind that as the beans are, say, in the cotyledon or unifoliate stage? Is that okay, or would you rather wait? How, how do you time that one out? Well, we've, we've looked at that in the past. And generally, um, you know, we don't have a restriction on our label that, that – um, you know, um, says that you can't do it in that window. But generally when those beans are coming through the surface of the soil and, and they're in that, that cotyledon stage, you know, like to try to avoid that a little bit because if you happen to get um, a slug of moisture behind that, sometimes that can really get a, a big uptake of the herbicide and, and cause those cotyledons and, um, and coleoptiles to, uh, to swell and they can get a little bit brittle. Um, so generally I'll tell guys, if you can wait, maybe wait till you've got your unifoliate leaves coming out before you start those post applications. But like I said, um, we've done it in, in that window where they're just pot cracking through the surface and you can usually get away with it. It's just, there's a little more risk there. If you happen to push spray it on and then catch a, a good, you know, inch or inch and a half rain right behind it, that really sucks up all that herbicide. Um, then it's then you can see a little bit of stand loss sure, uh, occasionally sure. on a real high risk soil, but but generally it's it's pretty good shape. Well, I'm with you, Gail. I love getting those pre's out there with the PPO in there to try and take care of the weeds up front as much as we can. And of course, you got a backup plan with something like Anthem Max. We're talking with Gail you Stratman bet. here with FMC. Gail, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Thank you. You bet. Talking corn fungicides on today's Ag PhD Radio Show. We'll be right back after this. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now... 
You can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Come to the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event this summer. Here at Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support and encourage folks entering the ag industry. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event. Though this day is geared towards high school and college students as well as young farmers, anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy is more than welcome. Our hands-on sessions in the field will include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, the role of natural microbes in farming, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees. So whether you're a college student or just want some good agronomy information, this is one event you won't want to miss. It's the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships Day, Saturday, June 25th on the Hefty Farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Learn more and register at agphd.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Compromise is nice, if you're at the playground or scouring yard sales. But farmers know better that middle grounds have no winner. That's why there's Revitec fungicide, fast-acting and long-lasting, preventative and curative, disease control and stress reduction. So leave the settling to little Tommy at the seesaw, an old bargain bill, and take your full prize in yields with Revitec fungicide for uncompromised performance. Always read and follow label directions. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio and we have reached that time. Uh, we're digging into the Ag PhD Mailbag. We've got a number of emails that came in, radio at agphd.com. But we'll keep the phone lines open too. If you've got a question, we can get you right on. It's 844-44-AG-PHD. Had a question just got emailed here during the show from Craig, and he's in northern Wisconsin, so I'll start with that one. Uh, Craig says, all right, guys, first of all, uh, really appreciate your shows. Uh, well, thanks, Craig. We, we're glad to do them, and we're glad you're getting some benefit from it. Uh, Craig says, we plant corn, soybeans, winter wheat, and oats. So our question is, how do we weigh the amount of nutrients like N, P, and K from last year's corn residue when we're planting oats this year or if we plant winter wheat behind the soybeans? Hoping there is something worth value there, being fertilizer prices are the way they are. All right, Craig, I, I share your optimism. Boy, it'd be great if every ounce of fertility in those stocks could break down. So how is that going to happen? What can we do to influence nutrient release out of those stocks? Well, if we have good soil health, we have lots of microbes working in our soil. That's a good way to do it. And if we have decent amounts of moisture, uh, I'll give you an example. It's just in one of our fields today, and we've been extremely dry for the last two years. We, we've been blessed to get some rains this spring uh, that, that we're doing pretty good. We're, we're finally 
not considered to be in a drought area, but just barely. Uh, so we've got a little bit of moisture, but we've got two years worth of residue out there. Not all of it, but we, we could still see each of the last two years crop residue, just a little bit of it above ground. And I thought, man, I'm really disappointed. Normally we have much better residue breakdown than this. But then I got thinking, wait a minute, we've hardly had any rain for the last two years. So you do need to have some level of moisture as well. Some guys will say, well, if I do tillage and I chop that residue up and I bury it in the soil, that'll speed things up. And I agree with you, that will speed up residue breakdown. Uh, and you will get more release of nutrients from your organic matter as well that's in your soil, in addition to your organic material that's on top of the ground that you're working in. So you could say tillage, you could say moisture and heat, and just good soil health overall where you've got lots of things in the soil, living things that are chewing that up and, and breaking it down. Those kinds of things can all help you. Uh, but back to your question, how many nutrients do you count on coming out of that residue? I don't count on any. I just figure, you know what, whatever's in there uh, from last year's crop, I got everything I was going to get out of that. And now this year's crop, yeah, how much am I going to get out of that? Uh, I'm just counting on nothing. I'm just counting on uh, my next crop after this one, I'll get it. So that's how I look at it. I'm, I know I'm getting something out of it, but I really don't count on it because the weather is going to dictate what happens. The other thing to take a look at, is what your organic matter is in the soil because when you have 1% organic matter, you're going to get roughly 20 to 30 pounds of nitrogen, uh, roughly 4 to 7 pounds of phosphate, and roughly 2 to 3 pounds of sulfur for each 1% of organic matter you got in your soil. So that's going to break down throughout the growing season. So you're not going to get it all early. You're going to get a lot of it in the mid to later part of the growing season. So depending on which crop you're, you're uh, planting, just remember to figure in what your organic matter is going to release as well. Hey, thanks a lot, Craig. We really appreciate uh, appreciate the question. All right, uh, kind of a similar question, a little bit anyway. This one from Trevor. He's up in Ontario, Canada. He, he said, uh, we're doing some trials on biological nitrogen supplements. Specifically, we're going to do Utricia that's from Corteva with fertilizer prices. So it'd be great to hear what you guys think about this new product. Uh, it's going to cost us roughly 14 Canadian dollars per acre and could replace uh, some of our nitrogen applications. Nitrogen is really, really high this year. Hey, I agree with you, Trevor. Although nitrogen prices are starting to come down depending on where you're at. So maybe double check on, on the nitrogen prices if you haven't got it locked in yet. So what do we think about Utricia? You know what? That's one that we're doing more testing on this year, too. We've done it for the last couple of years. We've actually seen some positive yield gains. So that's that's one that we think, uh, hey, there's something to that product. It's it's a decent product. And, you know, Corteva didn't develop it. They bought it from a company that, that had done the development work on it, and they saw enough yield response on it, too, to think, hey, this is worthy of being in our lineup. So kudos to Corteva for, for jumping on that one because we think that's a good one. Um, would I cut back on my nitrogen a whole bunch? That's another question. I would do a little trial work uh, as you're you're using this new product, and I'd say, okay, I'm going to do a few strips where I do cut back my nitrogen, and then I'm going to do a few strips where I don't, and just see what I get. Now, one thing that I like is that, that you sent in some soil samples here, too, and um, you know what? That's going to be 
I don't think this is exactly for the same uh, situation, but uh, taking soil samples is going to be important. And the one thing that I'm going to be looking at, two things I'm going to be looking at in those soil samples where you do these trials, Trevor, is look at what your organic matter is in the soil and then look at how much nitrate is left from last year. So you do a nitrate test alone, it only costs about five bucks, or you do a complete soil analysis. If you're doing a Malik 3, it's probably gonna cost you 10 or 15 bucks. It's really not that expensive. Just get an idea where you're at. Because what we've seen in some of these trials, and we've done a lot of testing on our farm too, if we've got a lot of carryover in, well, then is it really the eutricia or the, um, biological nitrogen supplement, as you termed it. Is it really the biological nitrogen supplement, or is it just that we had a lot of carryover N out there that made up for us cutting back our rate, those kinds of things. Just make sure you get good analysis and good data. But I would say, Trevor, for, for our data the last couple of years, we, we have liked Utricia, so we would support giving that one a trial on your farm too. Hey, thanks for that question. We appreciate that. Got this one that came in from Paul. And Paul said, okay, you guys say that about half your farm ends up being conventional till and about half ends up strip till. I'm curious why. What determines which tillage practice is done on which fields? And the fields that are strip till, do they stay only strip till and only conventional till year after year on those fields? Or does it change from year to year? Hey, thanks for the question, Paul. And that's actually a really good one, too, because... When I think about some of our fields that are strip till, um, so I've got a, a field that I, it's river bottom ground. I love doing strip till down there. I, I think it works great for that system. When we do conventional till on that ground, I don't like it. And if we do no till on that ground, I don't like it. But strip till has just seemed to fit the bill for us. It's heavy ground. It can get sticky because it's a little high in magnesium still. We're, we're working on that one, but it takes time and it costs money. So strip till has been a nice, happy medium for us. So I would prefer to do strip till down there all the time. However, this year... Our neighboring dairy had some manure that they wanted to get out in the spring. And my river bottom ground for uh, what I said is probably a one in 20 year situation. My brother says, let's be realistic here. It's probably two years and 10. Okay, whatever. One in five years. It's fit to actually do something like that in the spring. I jumped at the chance and I said, let's let's do it. Let's get down there and, and do that. So even though I like to be strip till, it's conventional till now, and and we got a bunch of manure on. So that's probably one of the biggest factors for us is if we can get manure on ground, then we're going to end up doing conventional till on that ground to to accept that manure. Uh, in in our area, we well. Just like our, our previous question, when fertility prices are high, the manure really pays for us. Uh, and even when fertility prices are lower and the cost of applying the manure is similar to, to what the, the co commercial fertilizer is, I just like manure. I, I think it works pretty good for us on our farm. We've kind of figured out quite a few things about it to, to get the most out of it. So for me, that's probably the biggest factor. Um, I would say this too, where we've got more highly erodible ground and we do have some of that, then we certainly want to reduce our tillage and strip till has been a good thing. We've also started, much to Brian's dismay on some of this, we've started putting more cover crop out and I really like that in some situations. And man, where we did strip till and used a cover crop in between the strips, 
I like how that looks a lot. Even where we did some fall manure injection, where we put the cover crop out, it it looks pretty good. And through all those windy days that we had this spring, that really held things in place. So I've liked the strip till compared to conventional till for erosion control. Uh, now utilizing some cover crop in there too, it's been nice. And then, yeah, back to the manure, that's a real big factor for us too if we're going to do some manure. Hey, thanks for the question, Paul. Hopefully that that gives you the answer that you want. Uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of different reasons that people make certain decisions out on the farm, and uh, it, it is kind of fun to talk with other farmers. Hey, why are you doing it this way? Because every once in a while you pick up on something that you know. Maybe I should consider doing it that way on my farm too. Well, thanks for listening to our show today. Really like talking about this v4 to v7 corn fungicide timing because it's something that is a little bit underutilized in the industry be sure to join us again each weekday for more ag phd radio